to those folks who are deciding to leave a job that or whether or not you leave a job that you hate or you know something that's getting you down you don't have to do it by any means and certainly now that i've been an actor for 18 years i could have stayed a lawyer had i just sort of re retrained my mind mm -hmm. but if it's not right for you the emotional cost is probably more than you have in your personal bank account Making a career change for any profession can be tough, especially acting, something that is famously difficult to break into. But can you become a successful actor if you don't get started until your 30s? Hi, this is Diana Burnell O'Leary, and welcome back to Job Talk Weekly, where we help you with your job search. And that includes conversations with people who have made successful career transitions. Today, we talk with actor Christopher Wood about how he went from being a corporate lawyer to a successful actor at the age of 34. Check it out. Finding career fulfillment isn't always a direct path from college to work. Today, we talk with attorney-turned-actor Christopher T. Wood about his journey. Hey, Christopher, welcome to Job Talk Weekly. Thanks so much for having me. This is a lot of fun. Well, before we start talking about your career as an actor, take us back to college. What were you thinking when you were in college? What were your career aspirations and your professional goals? Well, it really centered around entertainment. I was quite sure that I'd missed the boat with being an entertainer myself, and I didn't think I really had, I didn't have any evidence that I had all that much talent. I had done some small shows, but I was blowing no one's doors off. So I said about, since I knew I wanted to be in the entertainment world, um, trying to get myself to a place where I would be of uh, great assistance to artists, uh, particularly to uh, black artists. Mm. I, I thought um, if I could go out and, and get that institutional experience, um, and this was actually the plan. I remember walking along in college uh, by the library at Georgetown and walking down the stairs and I tracked out exactly what I wanted to do. I was going to start off at a, as a paralegal in a, in a big time law firm, then move in, try and parlay that into a great law school experience, then go to Wall Street and learn that institutional corporate transactional knowledge, then take that yeah. to a large, uh, large, uh, entertainment place like Sony. And that is precisely what happened. You did, but you didn't stay there. <laughs> is there a curse? May your dreams come true uh, or something like that? I mean, it really did show me the power of, of setting a goal for yourself without actually thinking, why, why did you set that goal? I, th I think particularly if you come out of that sort of highbrow education world. Mm -hmm. It's all about getting and achieving goals. Um, uh, but not a lot of thought of why. Uh, and, and that's what in, in, in essence, it was a massive, 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 massive mistake, uh, to the tune of hundreds of thousands of dollars and, and years and hours lost. Um, but you know, we make mistakes. Sometimes we, 
rob the wrong convenience station and spend time in prison. Other times we go to corporate law when we should have gone someplace else. Well, let's look at that because every experience you have at least strengthens you for the next one. How long were you uh, working as a lawyer? Um, eight years. Okay. Uh, yes, eight years uh, precisely, and then I, then I retired. So throughout that time working, how often did you have that itch or that bug that maybe you want to go in a different direction? You know, that's, that's the problem. Every day. Uh, oh, wow. That's why when people say it was brave of you to leave, <laughs> I don't think they realize when something when you want to pursue art mm-hmm. and you don't, mm-hmm. uh, you have to wake up every day and decide again not to try. So the closest thing that I could get for an example is coming out of your little lonely apartment and there's Polly Pureheart and you want to ask her out and every day you have to decide not to. You're yeah. going to have that fresh opportunity. You could always give it a shot. So it is a, um, it is a quiet daily nightmare for those of us who 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 do want to be an artist. Uh, um, it's you really will have to turn it down every day until they put you in the grave. And some of your work was in the entertainment industry as a lawyer, right? Uh, yes, uh, I worked for Sony pictures in-house uh i was columbia tristar's licensing lawyer for two years i think i have that right sorry sony if i screwed that up but i believe that's what i was uh and then i went over to um sony music and Mm. i was an in-house lawyer there which is really what i had always wanted to do and i uh, i pretty much had what i had set my goals to be uh and it was just um I was miserable. I was miserable. And was it worse to be around entertainers than to just no, be a regular attorney? Okay. I, I would say no, because I wasn't, and maybe I would have stayed in if I was more directly dealing with artists, though I, I strongly doubt that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I really wasn't dealing with artists. I was dealing with sort of institutional entertainment, which has its merits. I mean, yeah. there, there's nothing wrong with that. But uh, I, it, it wasn't surprisingly except for the hours were vastly reduced obviously being an in-house attorney is you know you work at 50 maybe 40 percent that you might in a law in a new york law firm Mm -hmm. but um uh other than that that was the only real benefit the work was the the same i mean it was documents and that kind of stuff so before you retire how mm-hmm. does it start to come up? How do you start to say yes to acting? It never did. Um, I will say uh, I was sort of deteriorate, deteriorating personally, uh, just in my own happiness and joy, I would say. And my mom and my sister called me uh, on, uh, on conference call or, you know, both of them on the line. Mm-hmm. And they knew I was pretty tight with money. And they said, Chris, tell you what, give us all your money, um, quit your job, and we will dole out the money and support you as an actor. Because at that time, I was taking acting classes. Okay. Uh, but those classes had fairly convinced me not to pursue acting because none of my 
classmates was making any money or even going on additions. <laughs> so they confirmed for me that there was right. no future as an actor. Right. So before my mom and my sister got on the phone and said, quit your job and be an actor, I had never given the thought of being a full-time actor one iota of energy. That was, I missed that boat when I was a teenager. Um, I got upset with them and sort of hung up the phone and slammed it down. And in the time that it took the sound of the phone hitting the receiver to dissipate, that's sort of old for the kids, phones, right. <laughs> uh, for that little bang, something in my mind switched. And after that, I said, I am an actor. That's it. I'm done. And I quit my office. I quit my job the next day. Um, so I never thought about it. I went from saying absolutely not, because I think I was, I was 34 at the time. I wanted to get married. As far as I was concerned, the only thing I had to offer someone was that I was an attorney. Um, I went from not wanting to do it to completely being all in. And I think that's really for, for acting the only, the only way to do it. It's not a logical progression. Uh, it's just make the call. Once you make the call, just do it. It sounds like you had a family intervention. I mean, you're yes. so lucky that these two women in your life took control. What do you think they were seeing that prompted them to do that? It's a lot of time. Not in at, If you don't enjoy being a lawyer, uh, doing something you don't enjoy, it requires a, a lot of effort and a lot of uh, skill. And um, also, if you think about it, we live in the easiest time in the history of planet Earth to do what you want to do. Yeah. So if you're not going to do it now, any illusion that during World War II you would have, <laughs> no, you, you, you wouldn't have. Uh, and, and particularly something as, as simple as quitting your day job and becoming an actor. One of the huge advantages that I had was after I quit, a guy from at Sony Music came into my office. All the lawyers were kind of going bananas. This is great. You got out of prison. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah. And uh, this guy, who was not a lawyer, came in and said, listen, I used to, I think he wrote short stories uh, for a living. And he said, I made my living on it for three years, and I did just fine. Don't overemphasize what you're doing. Um, people do it every day and it works out. Uh, if you, and what I took from it is if you overemphasize it, if it's your dream, it's just too heavy. Yeah. It's just a pick your lunch pail up, go to work. Yeah. Uh, tomorrow, go to work the next day, go to work the next day, go to work the next day. And really what I just set out to do was I said, well, I'd probably have a year's worth of cash, which is precisely what I had. Yeah. And, um, I said, I want to, at the end of this year, know that I did absolutely everything to try and gain work as an actor. Um, that's, that's my goal. It's not about whether I succeed or not. It's about whether I exhaust my opportunities or my, the things that I come up with in my head as a way to promote myself as an actor. And, and I've done that ever since, and that's close to 18 years ago, I guess. That's kind of how I keep doing it. I think a lot of people who are miserable at work and want mm -hmm. something new dream of that day when they can go in and quit. Tell us what that day was like for you. 
Well, it, it was not so joyful um, <laughs> because, um, and and this is probably the same thing for all these people. My boss was okay. Yeah, that makes sense. And I and I think I was a little embarrassed because most of my identity was going to Columbia Law, being a quote big time lawyer, you know, fancy firm yeah. in house at a large company. Yeah. So the fact that everyone around me said, "Yeah, you, you're not. This is not for you," particularly oh. being particularly being African-American, and there were so few of us yeah. in that world. Sure. And that's what I set out to do. I, there were all these white lawyers that were working for African-American artists. I wanted to provide them with another choice, and I had failed. Uh, you know, I worked 3,000, probably 3,000 hours a year from the time I was a paralegal and at the end of it all, 14 years later, uh, I had failed. I hadn't done what I uh, uh, set out to do. So in, in that sense, it was not that joyful. Uh, but I will say the big moment was talking to my mom, my sister, when I hung up the phone and decided to do it. The moment I did that, I have never, ever, ever looked back and said, I've not regretted it for a moment. And in fact, the only nightmares I have, I am just back at an old legal desk. Oh, wow. Oh, that's chilling yeah, to even think about. Where I just, and it's not, you know, and you've lost the fire. I haven't lost anything. I'm just, it's, it's like you wake up and you're like, oh, that, you never did that. That never happened. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I would say to those folks who are deciding to leave a job that or whether or not you leave a job that you hate or you know something that's getting you down you don't have to do it by any means um and certainly now that i've been an actor for 18 years i could have stayed a lawyer had i just sort of re retrained my mind mm -hmm. but if you if it's not right for you the emotional cost um is probably more than you have in your um, personal bank account. Right. Uh, uh, it 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 will catch up to you soon enough. I cannot imagine that I'm in very good shape today if I never if I had never left. Uh, I don't know where I would be or what or where, and I and I don't necessarily think I would have. Uh, well, I was destined to leave. I don't think that's the case at all. Uh, but I certainly would be, um, uh, I, I, I certainly would be in deep, deep, deep trouble. But the kind of trouble that you just ignore, sure. you know, oh, you're 53. What is it? What does it matter that I've gained so many pounds or, you know, everything hurts when I move or, you know, I'm old now. That, you know, that's a given. And <laughs> you're going to be not. 53 anyway. You yeah. might as well be happy when you're doing it. Exactly. Well, exactly, I think exactly. I think that's so important to think about is to do your own gut check and trying to measure regular dissatisfaction with the occasional bad day at work. We all have those. Even people who love their jobs, you have a day that doesn't go your way. But then knowing the difference between a bad day and a miserable job, you know, that's what people need to think about so that way they don't find themselves at the age of 50 and then wondering what the heck happened. My worst day as an actor 
exceeds my best day as a lawyer. Um, oh, that's awesome. By far. And and I've had moments as an actor, uh, probably my worst day is I, I did not audition for a, a children's show with some name actors and then me. So there were guys that have careers. Mm-hmm. And then there's, and for some reason I got brought in as well. And when I went in for the audition, uh, I had to be big and bold, like some rich, you know, billionaire running his mouth. And I got four or five words into it with people in the room, um, sitting on couches, uh, as they are wont to do. <laughs> and um, I, the words left and I said the, the lines, but only to the sound of ah. So instead of saying, my name is Chris Wood and I'm here to say hello, I would go, my name is ah. <laughs> I could not stop saying the word. Now, to this day, I, I would assume they remember this audition as one of the single worst auditions ever given. Um, this was conclusive proof that whoever was standing in front of you was totally incapable as an actor, totally incapable of doing the role, and it was a mistake to have brought him or her in, and we must make sure we don't ever make that mistake <laughs> again. I mean, that's an easy call if someone could only phonetically say, ah, so that's my worst day. I walk out of that room, and that's still not, uh, that's still better. Just facing that moment, I, I don't have nightmares about that moment. Let's just say that. And that's you're still just, standing. You're still standing. Absolutely. I mean, you're not even kind of not standing. I mean, it's just a moment. And particularly as you do more and more acting, I don't even know that that's necessarily a bad thing that you were so somewhere else that you just did things that you you had no control over because frankly that's what they pay you to come in and do they hope it doesn't wind up like that (laughs) but they really are paying you to come in here and essentially on their lines make it up on the spot that's what makes auditions exciting so that's a bad that's a bad outcome but and certainly as bad, maybe wetting your pants might be worse, but <laughs> that's about it would have to be that bad. And that's better than any day as a lawyer. Talk a little bit about that resiliency, because that's a trait that salespeople need and actors really, really need it. Did you already have that thick skin that the rejections weren't going to bring you down so much? Or how did you approach that? Well, uh, first, there's very little rejection in acting. There's absence of good news. Yeah, <laughs> um, nice. I like that. Really. I mean, you you go into rooms and you come out. You go into rooms and you come out. Uh, so the best year that I ever had, or one of, I had a couple of them as a commercial actor, getting booking commercials on television. Yeah. I think uh, about for four or five years, I booked five, seven, maybe eight commercials a year. That's probably, that's, that is a solid year. Yeah. You know what? You're doing well. You have, in order to get that, about 120 first auditions, right? Mm -hmm. So you tend to have them with the same agencies and organizations and casting directors. It's a small pool. So except for five times, 115 times, all those guys said, yeah, Chris would, and they know you. Oh, yeah. You've been in there before. They're like, yeah, not right. Not so today. it's 115 rejections on your banner year. You're killing it. So if, 
each one, if you qualify each one of those uh, rejections as film and television likes to portray as, oh, he was terrible. Get the next guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, then yeah, you're you're in trouble. But the truth of the matter is, in any good audition, if I'm auditioning for a part of a film that I'm directing, I want five guys who nail it, and then I pick the redhead because. The woman I have mm-hmm. has got green hair and red mm-hmm. hair would go with the green hair the best. Right. So you have five people and they all kill it. Yeah. Uh, whenever I've uh, I've shot a couple of small films and I don't have to audition. I, I, I know the actors. I mean, it's like, boom, you, you. And more than likely, if I have a choice of 10, five can't show. So I have to find another five. And that's not a not a problem. So when you walk out of an audition and you don't get the part, you haven't been rejected. Um, you, it's just the absence of success. Uh, that it, it, it's just that connection of, well, that's not quite what we were looking for. And in fact, it's not unheard of for you to go in. This would be very typical as FBI agent mm-hmm. and you nail it and you're exactly what they were thinking of which tells them, oh, we got it. Chris Wood, uh, we got, put him on a, a veil or put him on hold. Chris Wood's got it. And another guy comes in or a woman comes in, gives a whole different take. And they're like, didn't see that coming. Yeah. Go for her. Tell Chris <laughs> he's on a veil. See if she's available. She showed them what the role could be. Now, was I rejected? No, I had booked the role. Yeah. Uh, I was what they wanted, but they... Uh, they saw something else. You want the people audition. It's not a competition. You never get the best. You get the one that just uh, fits and rings the bell. You have such a healthy perspective here. I wonder if some of it comes from the time that you spent out in corporate America because you had a certain maturity. You were able to navigate the world of work, communicating and dealing with people, which is part of all of our jobs. I mean, do you think about the fact that you came to acting a little bit later and there were perhaps some unseen benefits there? I mean, was there, do do you think that that was beneficial or do you think you lost time? I think I lost time, but I will say I am absolutely sure that I would not have had an ego that could handle not not achieving massive success at an early age yeah um one of the I'd say the only advantage for me as an older person was uh moderate success actually the greatest thing or, or the thing I was most proud of was not booking roles but that I was willing to try and do this even though it didn't look like it would work out. Yeah. Um, I don't think it takes anything to be have the success of a Brad Pitt. That's easier to handle. It's great mm-hmm. success. I think it's a little in this business. We're in a unique situation where failure is regarded as much worse than massive success is good. Um, so most people approach it and say the most important thing is at the end of this, no one can call me a failed actor. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm not so worried about being a successful actor. I'm more worried about preventing anyone, John Q. Public, anywhere under any circumstances from calling me a failed actor. That will be the worst thing. Uh, and that's a tough way. That's a tough way to proceed in the business. I, I will say 
particularly law is a terrible training ground for acting. Um, How so? Uh, in law, you want to avoid risk. In acting, uh, you want to find it. Yeah. So it's it's almost the if acting is a limber business, law is tightening tightening you up as much as possible. Yeah. Um, it took a while to get over that, uh, searching for the right way to do something. Um, that is, I, it made me a good acting student, but not such a good actor. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, that it it was a disaster, both psychologically and personally to me, uh, and actually one could argue financially uh, if you think about it because I paid my loans off, which was pretty good, mm-hmm. uh, just before I came to LA and started working in-house. So I had three years as a lawyer working in-house that where I was loan-free. But all the rest of it, I was essentially in debt. Well, if during that time I had not incurred that debt and I had, as my friend Henri uh, had done worked as a waiter and saved my money. I'd have been financially. I'd have been much farther ahead, much farther ahead. Um, so that's so. Even from the perspective of oh yeah, but you made money. It, you, you did. You didn't. Yeah. Uh, did you net you money? Is the question <laughs> exactly. Well, tell us what the first year was like, though. So you have this wonderful, supportive phone call from mom and sister, who I hope mm-hmm. you thank from time to yes, time for absolutely. their boldness. And you quit your job. OK, then what? Then I really dug into it. I took an old pay stub or my last pay stub. I put it on the desk so I'd always knew, know how much money I was losing by virtue of this choice. Nice. And I really just, I started asking people, I said, what are the top 10 things I could do? And what that quickly told me was not many people knew. <laughs> um, and uh, and that, that hasn't changed uh, dramatically at all. Um, so I just said, I... People need to know what I can do. I need to get out and get in front of them. And I also need to up my skills because I'm not any good at this. I have no real reason to think I'm that outstanding an actor. Uh, I used to think I was an incredible singer until I started running into really good singers. Mm -hmm. But the huge advantage I gave myself with as an actor, I never said I'm doing this because I'm uh, there's some genius here that needs to be tapped into. Mm-hmm. Um, I So that enabled me to just say, you know what, I'm not all that good, but I'm going to do the best I can. Uh, and I worked, got agents. I think the hardest thing is to get an agent. I wrote a play, put it up, and then uh, had an agent come down and see it. I got a commercial agent. And I think on day 365, I booked my first commercial when I was down to $5,000. Because uh, I didn't work, wow. I didn't take another job, uh, and from then I just sort of crawled back into economic re- relevance, so um, uh, and stayed there. So uh, that was kind of that first year, which was extremely enjoyable. Because from a creative sense, since no one really knew what to do, it was wide open. Yeah, and there was a clear logic: get hired, and you keep asking that question and one of the ways that i used to get hired and i still do today when i met people who were either directors or producers i always offered my services mm-hmm. which most people didn't mm. uh, 
partially because they say, well, I'm an actor, and they assume, well, if they wanted me, they would ask. And remember, I knew I wasn't all that good. I'm not this attractive person that's just going to blow doors off. I'm not young. So you have to mention it. You have to go, you have to hold up your hand. There's no, there's no real reason they're going to say, yeah, I'm looking for a middle-aged, affable <laughs> African-American. That's what every movie needs. No one, no one needs that. But what I did discover is when you raise your hand, first, you are giving yourself a vote of confidence, mm -hmm. which most people refrain from doing. And second, you were breaking them from their reverie and go, oh, well, there's, I mean, this happened all the time. We need a, there's a banker, there's a postman, there's a, you wouldn't want to, and I'm, yes, I would. It's what yeah. I do. Well, I wonder if the humility that you brought to this was helpful because you didn't study acting, right, in college or high school. So you right. knew that you had to really be assertive, you had to hustle, and you were willing to learn, and you didn't let your ego get in the way. And I wonder if that was helpful. Uh, I think so. I, I've heard um, women are better shooters in the military or better or easier to train. Hmm. Uh, and they said, by and large, they come in, uh, and I'm generalizing here, but this is a story, and they say, I don't know how to shoot. So the shooting instructor gets to go, okay, uh, get in this position. Yeah, yeah. Put your elbow this way. But uh, whereas men are like, I, I must know how to shoot this. I thing. got I, it. You know how many, you know, times I've thought about this. <laughs> yeah. So you know how many times uh, I've watched Lethal Weapon. Yes, exactly. I've seen it. I, I know. You hold the gun to the side if you're yeah. really tough. Uh, <laughs> but um, so that was probably a, a a big part of it. You know, you mentioned earlier that you also had the desire to be an attorney and to be an African-American attorney and, like you said, provide another option for yeah. uh, other people. So does that also carry over into your work as an actor now, as an African-American actor? Uh, no, probably would carry over more. Um, and the day job is acting, but uh, I'm, I also do some writing. So it carries over into writing in, in terms of what messages I might want to display or what characters I may want to uh, develop. Uh, and so that's where that would carry out. When I was an attorney, particularly in what I'll just call big time law, you know, that yeah. corporate yeah. Uh, Davis Polk's uh, Sullivan and Cromwell guys. Uh, Sullivan was the first place that I worked. Mm. There were very, very, very few black people. Mm. I did maybe a hundred deals as a paralegal the first two years. And I think I saw two attorneys mm. who were black uh, mm -hmm. who came into the firm. And I, uh, so it was so rare that if you were walking around the front and everyone was busy, even if it was, three in the morning and people were in meetings. If you saw a black man or a black woman in a conference room on a whole nother deal, you would stop, you'd wave and they would wave back. I mean, it was, it was that it was like, Oh yeah. All right. Hey, yeah. how's it going? Yeah. Keep working. So particularly in wall street was, uh, almost exclusively white. And I thought because of having lived overseas and just who I was, I said the, the supposition was that what African-American would ever want to be in this environment. Like they would hate it. Even mm -hmm. if they could do well, mm -hmm. they would hate it. And I thought maybe I could both do well and enjoy myself. Mm -hmm. uh, and if I were therefore to come out of these institutions and could apply what is usually only given to 
you know, sort of a self-segregating environment to white attorneys, um, then I could work with African-American artists and have all that which usually is not in an African-American um, attorney uh, uh, to apply on, you know, the representation of, of artists. Uh, now that I'm older, it's probably a waste of time. Um, I, I don't think African-American artists necessarily needed me. Uh, <laughs> they weren't waiting for Chris Wood to get his. Uh, I, I, I don't. But that was the theory at the time. I, it wasn't so much that I saw a need, but rather I said, you know, OK, I can't be an actor. Um, I'm just an OK singer. Maybe I can do this. Maybe maybe that has, you know, I can go into these all white worlds, survive and thrive. Yeah. That's what I thought I could do. But it really helps to have to be psyched about something. And that was one of the things that sort of chased me out of law. I remember consistently asking people what they really wanted to do. Mm. And so many could not answer that question. And I, I was like, no, 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 no restrictions. You, you, you could want to play for the Yankees. Just sit. And there was that. You mean fellow lawyers? Are you talking about asking other lawyers? lawyers? Yeah. yeah. Why is it that I feel like lawyers is the one field where you do have so many unhappy people? I think of a lot of women I know in particular who went into law school and then, you know, 10 or 12 years later, they're miserable. Is there something about that field or is this just a, something that we're talking about now because you were an attorney too? I would say two things. One, the hours can be extreme. Yeah. So even if you like something, uh, 14 hour days get you down after a couple of years. Mm -hmm. uh, secondly, you have to look at one of the solid benefits of being a, a lawyer and wh whether or not that's the only thing you you honestly went there for, which is status, identity. <laughs> uh, when I was a lawyer and I walked into a room uh, or a party of friends. Hey, this is Chris Wood. He went to Columbia. Works at, uh, you know, insert the firm, Sullivan and Cromwell, Seward and Kissel, Paul Hastings. Yeah. That was my identity. That was my walking worth. Uh, and in fact, when I talked to my good friend Tom Schlomer about leaving law, he said, and therefore I would be unemployed. I'd be an unemployed, un inexperienced actor at 34. And he was like, Woody, because that's what he called. Yeah. Woody. He was like, uh, you guys like us have never walked in rooms without mint level identi identities. We are, you know, he went to Stanford and he was working at this place and he had just uh, left some company was looking for something new. And he said to go in and have nothing to say about what you're doing right now. Mm -hmm. We haven't done that in a in a decade, and we were trained to never ever be in that situation. That that's our that's our nightmare. So one of the things he said to me, which was a huge help, he said, when people ask you w what you are, now I gave my notice and I left the office three months later. He said, practice during that time just saying, I'm an actor, and they'll ask what you've been in, and I hadn't been in anything, tell them yeah. you haven't been in anything. So I haven't been successful at all. And if you can't handle that look that they give you, that look of disgust or pity, <laughs> uh, you, you can't do this. You're really, so it's an instant view that you are less than. And that's where I would say being an African-American, particularly a child of the 70s, was a real help. 
because as an African American, you were definitely the low one of the lower ones on the on the food social food chain the in the U.S. So you had that stank of African American on you. Uh, you're not very smart. You may be a criminal. You're not very moral, um, and you have to be at best you know, at best we can hope is that we don't have to help you. So it's that look of, yeah, I'm not going to do anything mean, but <laughs> you are who you are. You know? <laughs> but that identity, so, that that reputation or that status, as you call it, it doesn't mm-hmm. sound like that status of being a high-powered attorney actually mattered to you that much. Um, it, it didn't. Or after a while? It was the pay. Um, along with <laughs> the money, honest. that was the Chris. Wait, that's your memoir. It was the pay. That was the pay. That's what that you, you you went to a pie shop and they gave you pie. You can't complain about you know oh the pie in this pie shop. Can't do that. So that you know that's what you get for all this work. And toward the end, I felt I had played a joke on myself. I was like mm. I. You know, let's assume I don't care about this. Well, why do I spend 3,000 hours a year doing it? That's what happens, I think, when people say they just wake up and there they are 40 years later. That life just goes on unless you pay attention to how you're feeling and what's really true to you inside. Otherwise, yeah, you will wake up 20 years later with a wife and a job that make you miserable. Oh, I, I, I think it is. Uh, I think it's worse than that in the sense that you you don't wake up 20 years later. You wake up every day and oh. you realize you put a brick and then you put another brick and you are in the bed you made. I mean, that's that's why I always say, you know, that people say, oh, it was courageous of you to leave. I, no. I mean, courageous would have been staying. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That it was not courageous to leave. I ran screaming. You said when you quit and you Mm -hmm. devoted your time to acting. You asked a lot of people for advice. What are the top 10 things I should do? And no one had that top 10. And I imagine that it is different for everyone because it's gonna be different for a young 20 year old who may or may not have gone to college and different for someone who was an attorney and decided to follow acting at 34. But are there just one or two things that you can leave us with, in particular for someone who is changing careers, who is going into acting in their 30s? What would you want them to know? Uh, This is going to sound awful. Pursue money. (laughs) Um, I I, I know. Tell me more. (laughs) Pursue money. Pursue jobs in film and television uh, that pay. And what I mean by that is there is a, I would say, a sickness in the acting world of if you're worthy, you'll get it. So stick back and wait mm. and y- you won't. Um, I know numerous actors that are far more talented than I am that have left the business. Mm. They, I don't compete with them anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not I won't have a better career because I'm better. I'll have a better career because they decided to do something else. So um insist upon getting money one it demystifies it a little bit Mm -hmm. because now you're trying to get it and also it gets rid of your fear of oh that's somehow gauche um ask for the girl's number is is the theory ask ask her out on the date kiss the girl at the end of the night Mm -hmm. uh that's that's what you want to do that's your job 
And the easy way to look at it is pursue your job and career as if you were pursuing it on behalf of your younger brother or sister whose talent you believed in. What would you do for them? So sit down next to a director and the director says, I've got this great new role. You know, we're looking, we're trying to get some more African-Americans in it. And, you know, because we're so embarrassed with all the all white shows that we've produced. And as an African-American actor, and you've already told them you're an actor, you might sit back and just sort of hang your big brown moon face in front of his (laughs) waiting for him to figure it out. But if you represented your brother or sister, you would say, wait a minute, I know who you have to look at and uh, understand that every time they find an actor that works for the role, you're solving a problem for them. Oh, yeah. So you're offering yourself up is solving people's problems. I need a quirky office guy. Hello, I'm a quirky office guy. Are you sure? Well, I just said it. So that's one that's that that says something. Yeah. Uh, talk to my agent, see the work that I've done. That'll reinforce it. But most importantly, I'm pretty damn confident of it myself. And at least I'll give you a good read if you bring me in. Now we can go and talk about the next. Pursue that money. That's your job. I love it. it. I think that's great. I I think we'll leave it at that. Thank you so much, Christopher T. Wood. It's been so wonderful talking to you. (laughs) No, I love the whole name. Pursue the money. Christopher T. Wood, follow the money. There it is. There's the headline for the show. There you go. All right. Well, we'll talk to you again real soon, Chris. All right. Thanks for having me on. It was really a joy. Thank you. Take care. All right. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Job Talk Weekly. Get your questions answered by visiting our website. That's jobtalkweekly.com. And we'd love it if you would please make sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. You can find Job Talk Weekly on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diana Brunello-Leary. See you next time.